Hi, I'm Lindsay Pugh. And hello, I'm Joe Nesterook. Welcome to the Woman in Revote podcast. On this bi-weekly podcast, we will be taking women in film or TV, highlighting them, and having a conversation about their work. If that sounds good to you, then welcome. We are glad to have you here. Please come along for the ride. We would love to include you on what we think about it, and we also would love feedback on what you think about it. And so on today's episode, we are going to be discussing a television show. It is Hulu's Conversation with Friends, which is an adaptation of a Sally Rooney novel that was published in 2017. And by the time you're listening to this, the show will have premiered, it will be available, and hopefully people will have had the chance to watch it. And so you'll be somewhat familiar with the show as we're going to discuss the entirety on this episode. I just have to say that after seeing this show, I feel like this podcast is going to be therapy for me. So <laughs> there's a lot to discuss. So hang on, because uh, it this show, I very, very much enjoyed it. And I am excited for this to hit Hulu and for everyone to watch it. It's a really interesting show. I think from what I've read of the reviews, it seems like most critics don't like this show as much as they did Normal People, which is another Sally Rooney adapted work, also Hulu, and also done by Lenny Abramson and Alice Birch, who are the executive producer, director, and writer of both Normal People and Conversations with Friends. So it's going to be interesting to talk about. I feel like there's a lot that I want to say that I haven't seen talked about in other places. So hopefully we can give you a more nuanced conversation and also a little bit more in-depth. And hopefully you'll come away from this, not only knowing how we feel about the show, but having a better sense of how it stacks up, what we think it got right, what we think it could have done better. We're hoping to give that type of rounded perspective in this discussion. And I just have to say up front, I'm just going to show my cards. I have not read the novel that this is based on. I have not read anything by Sally Rooney, even though this is going to change after this. I never saw normal people. So I basically came in like a virgin, seeing this for the very first time. And so I may have a little bit different perspective, Lindsay, than you, because I know that you are very familiar with Sally Rooney's work. You've, you've seen normal people. You've uh, read her work. So it'll be interesting to see how the differences and how we viewed it. And I think it will be good, too, because as we were talking about before we started recording, I wonder if because I have read the novel, there are things that I'm picking up on a little bit better because I have the backstory and more interiority for the character of Francis. So for those who haven't read the novel, the big difference between the novel and the adaptation is that the novel is written in the first person from Frances's perspective. So you get a lot of her thoughts. You understand better how she feels about certain people, certain situations. 
she just is a more accessible character. Whereas in the TV show adaptation, you don't have any of that. So you are really, really beholden to the actors and the direction and the writing to convey some of the information that you would normally get directly from the character. There's no voiceover narration, nothing like that. I was curious to talk with Joe about this because I wanted to get her perspective on how accessible the TV show is if you don't have that background information. Yes, I'm very interested in that because, like I said, I strictly came to this from a position of not expecting anything. And yeah, it'll be it'll be good. It'll be good to get into it because I do have some thoughts on especially Francis and what I saw from it, what I got out of this. And like I said, my next thing I'm going to do is probably go buy this novel and read it because I'm pretty intrigued by it all. And the novel's very good. I will say it is my second favorite Sally Rooney novel. My first favorite is probably her most recent, Beautiful World, Where Are You? Then I would say it's Conversations with Friends. Then it's Normal People, I think. But she's a great writer. She is sort of heralded as the first great millennial writer. She's sold a lot of books. She has a big fan base. This is now the second book that has been adapted for the screen. So she is sort of one of those people who is a peer, like we are similar in age, but the massive amount of success she has had is really envious and intimidating. And I, li I like her work and I am a fan. I think sometimes with her writing, because she is young, like she wrote Conversations with Friends, well, it came out when she was 26. So I think sometimes she's a little bit limited by her own life experience and perspective, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. I, I love seeing her evolve as a writer and learn and grow. So go check out Sally Rooney if you're not familiar with her and definitely check out Normal People as well if you have not seen that adaptation. Do you feel like her being so close to your age, do you feel like that she somehow stepped in and filled maybe a gap that was missing, like millennials weren't getting their story told, or there wasn't a lot out there at the time that her first writings hit to identify with? I'm just curious. Hmm. That's an interesting question. I... Like, why did she take off so much? I mean, you know, there's other millennials writing and probably writing about things, but was it just a fresh perspective? Like, she put it all out there? Or I'm just curious, as a millennial, how what you identified with so close with her? I mean, she is a very specific type of sort of, like, disillusioned with capitalism the type of person who's not dreaming of a dream job, the type of person who's pulling the curtain back on all of those millennial frustrations that we feel, I do kind of feel like, and again, I can't remember, I think I read this novel probably in like 2019, so not right after it came out, a couple years later. And so by that time, I probably had read other novels that hit the same way, but for her, 
she has a really interesting way of sort of entwining those millennial frustrations with capitalism and work culture with the intersection of technology. And I know there have been some good reviews that go more in depth on this and some profiles of her, and we'll link them in the show notes. But I think that that is maybe what makes her a bit different. Her her novels all incorporate like text messaging and emailing and methods of communication that are definitely used by millennials that in literature previously have been either not done well or avoided to some extent for fear of dating the work. But I think she does it in a way where it's not going to feel dated at all. It's going to feel timeless in the way that any other great writer makes their subject and their technique feel timeless. I hope that answers your question somewhat. It does. No, it really does. That's interesting. Yes. I mean, that's interesting for me as a boomer who lived many, many, many years without technology. You know, of course, I don't know, what was I in my later 20s before computers really, really took off. So I had had, you know, 25, 26 years of living without that, without smartphones or anything like that. So it's very interesting. I just think that that, that's a good point because I can I could try to write about the there I I could see where I could absolutely not write as a millennial. I mean if I could I would be doing a pretty good fake job of it where she really grasped it by living it and being it and and got it out there. So and it's just something that an entire generation can identify with. So I think for me I can definitely tell oh Sally Rooney also grew up with AIM Instant Messenger, which when I was in middle school, that was a huge thing where if you had a crush or something, you wouldn't go talk to them at school. You would find out their screen name and then you would message them on AIM and you would flirt with them and you would have this long back and forth on the internet before you actually even talk to them in person sometimes. And I just feel like with some writers, they try to mimic that. And with Sally Rooney, I really feel like she is the type of person who had that experience of kind of your first, uh, your first time being emotionally vulnerable, truly being facilitated by technology. And uh, hmm. that to me is there's nothing more millennial than that. Right. That's so interesting. I guess our social interaction was passing notes in class yeah. if you like somebody you would pass a note or and i but it, it's interesting though because it takes a lot of face-to-face -face interaction because as we're going to find out francis is has some emotional um, immaturity where it's hard for her to express her feelings so and I know that that can come not only from the digital age, but maybe also from a home life, from the way that you're raised by parents. But I just have to wonder where my generation, you had to reach out and see people, or I guess you could call them on the phone, but there had to be some type of person-to-person -person interaction, whereas now we've gotten away from that. And Social media, I, I mean, I'm all for it. I'm all about social media. I'm on it all the time. And I think it's done a lot of good. It's done a lot of horrific things, just like anything else. But I just wonder in a way if that 
how that completely changed the landscape of interactions between human beings. I personally am at the point where I hate it. And if you're friends with me, you probably know that I hate it because I don't respond to your text messages as frequently. I ignore your emails. I pretty much have stopped engaging on social media in a lot of ways. And I think it is because I grew up with it and I'm now exhausted by it. It's now just another thing that I feel like sucks away my time and attention and my capacity for emotion and things that are integral to me as a person, I feel like it depletes. Mm. And I think a lot of people in my generation are are feeling that way and are lashing out against it. And I guess I haven't really seen that happen yet in a Sally Rooney novel, but I, I wonder if it will, because it's definitely something that is top of mind for me and a lot of people at this juncture, especially with the pandemic, then adding on top of it this whole other layer of isolation and loneliness. So that's a little bit of an aside, but just something to consider, I guess. Yes, it could happen in a Lindsay Poole novel. Yeah. Hey, who knows? <laughs> hey. Mr. Simple. Okay. Well, thank you. All right. Well, let's let's get back on track. Like I told you, this is going to be my therapy, so forgive me. <laughs> but... <laughs> No, it's going to be mine, too. It's going to be good to work through some of these dynamics and leave this conversation with a better understanding of how we feel about all these characters and yes. their interactions. Yes. So why don't you give us a little plot synopsis of who we're dealing with here? Yes. So in our last episode, I was like, who gives a shit about the plot? If you're listening to this, you already have seen it. And then a lot of people who listened to our last episode told me that is not the case. So for Conversations with Friends, it is about two young women. One is Frances, and she is the one in the book who is the narrator or the first-person perspective. And she is played by Allison Oliver in the series. And Bobby is her friend, played by Sasha Lane in the series. And they're going into their senior year at Trinity College in Dublin, which is also where Sally Rooney went to college and also where Normal People takes place. So these two friends used to date. Uh, they used to be in a romantic relationship, but at this point they're just platonic, and they perform spoken word poetry together. Francis is the writer, and Bobby is sort of more the performer. And at one of their shows, they meet this woman named Melissa, who is played by Jemima Kirk. She is a writer, and she kind of takes an interest in them and initiates a friendship. Now, Bobby and Francis are in their early 20s. Melissa is probably in her 30s, early-ish 30s. And so from the jump, Francis feels like Melissa favors Bobby. And she's always kind of awkward and unsure around her. You can tell that she feels insecure. She feels more comfortable around Nick, played by Joe Alwyn, who is Melissa's actor husband and has a similarly quiet vibe. So when Nick and Francis begin having an affair, the dynamic between all of the characters shifts and some interesting truths are revealed. Perfect. Yes, I would say that is a very good synopsis of it. One thing I'm just going to throw in there from what I remember from the series, Bobby was Francis' first 
relationship ever. Yes. And I believe they had been apart for a couple of years, just as friends, but sexually apart, but still maintained a very, very close friendship and relationship when she met Nick. So she has never been before or since in another relationship when she met Nick. Am I correct in that? You are correct. Okay, so we already know we got something going on here when she meets Nick. Like maybe Francis is not in the best emotional state and she is not relationship savvy. Yes. By any stretch of the imagination. No, and I will say in the book... Francis, you better understand that Francis is really preoccupied with figuring out what happened with her relationship with Bobby, why it ended, why they are now in the place where they're at. She spends time thinking about that, and you get that more in the book. In the series, I don't feel like that comes across as well until Francis writes a story about Bobby, and then you you better understand that she's kind of been thinking about this and trying to figure it out for a while. No, that's true because at first I thought they were still in a relationship because there's a scene where they're watching TV and they're all hugging on each other. And then she says, I'm going to go. And, you know, I'm just so right at the very first, I'm like, okay, they're in a relationship together. And then, then as it went on in more conversations, I could tell. You know, they made it clear that they were in a relationship and split. And I was like, okay, this is still a little bit complicated because they're very close. And you can tell, at least for Francis, there's still huge emotional ties there with Bobby. Yeah, you can absolutely tell that there was something between them. Maybe there still is. Their relationship, I would say, comes across as being very amorphous. It's hard to figure out what lines they've drawn and why they've drawn the lines. And I don't think the show ever really even makes it clear why they broke up exactly. It's sort of framed as Bobby broke up with Francis because she could tell that Francis no longer wanted to be in a relationship but was never going to go through with a breakup. So you get the sense that Bobby could tell that Francis didn't want to be in the relationship and that she ended it to let Francis off the hook. Is that how you understood it? That's how it came across to me when Bobby was like, oh, come on, we were miserable. You were miserable. You were just going to let it go on and on. I just basically ended it to help you out. <laughs> yes. So I guess we probably should just start off by what did you find interesting about the show? What kept you watching it? And what did you dislike, if anything? Oh, boy, that's hard. First of all, I want to say I enjoyed the show. I found it intriguing. I found myself looking forward to the next episode. I find myself binging on it a little bit. So for me personally, I found these people interesting. I found the whole dynamic of their relationships with each other very intriguing for someone that's always been taught that once you, you know, monogamy is the way to go. 
you get into a relationship, you find that person, you stick with them, and you don't do anything else with anybody else. So it was very intriguing for me to see the way that as the relationships unfolded, how they reacted to it, how they reacted to each other. I also found myself feeling very concerned for Frances because I could tell that even though she was 21 years old, that's, I'm 58, so that's still very young, but I tried to put myself way back into 21. And even though she, she wasn't a child child, she had, for me, clearly, uh, she was emotionally stunted. She did not have a great loving relationship with her parents, and she was unable to communicate well. And I just felt like that this relationship with a married man who also seemed emotionally stunted was going to be a train wreck for her. So I, f I just kept saying to myself, no, no, you know, wanting to try to warn her, which would not have been the right thing to do, I think. But I just couldn't help myself in doing that. I felt like, for the most part, the actors were able to convey what was going on, even not having read the book. There were times I feel like that I probably didn't get the full essence of what was going on. I think that I probably did not get the full essence with Frances because, Lindsay, you were telling me in the book, she had a lot of really profound insight she was saying. And here it was strictly, she was so quiet that glimpses into her inner psyche were kind of few and far between. So I think the actress that played her did well with that, but I'm sure I missed out on a lot of what was going on with her from not having read the book. One of the most interesting characters to me was Melissa, played by Jemima Kirk. I really found her interesting, and I found myself wishing that she was in more scenes. But she was there enough, but I felt like she did a particularly wonderful job in portraying someone trying to come to terms that her husband was having this sexual and emotional affair with a 21-year-old, and she had her own issues going on in her life and with him, and she was trying to put it all together, and I felt like she brought a very nuanced but also kind of anguished performance sometimes, which I identified with real well. What about you? I loved when toward the end of it might have even been in the final episode, Melissa and Francis have a conversation and Melissa says to her, I'm trying to remember if this level of narcissism is normal for someone your age. <laughs> that, was so good. that was the best burn of the series because all young people are fucking narcissists. How can you oh. not be? You're so yeah. concerned with trying to figure out yourself and get a stronghold on your identity and figure out who you are and how you want to portray it to the world and all of that is just prime for narcissism yes that that is a universal theme that ha that happened to boomers too i mean when you're in your early 20s uh, you know i'm not saying it happens to everybody there are the exceptions but i can definitely identify with it being all about myself and not even realizing that it was all about myself but i look back now and i cringe at things i did yeah, and that's why I think it's hard for me to understand why a person in their 30s would want to be in a relationship with a person in their 20s. And I realize I'm generalizing, of course. There are exceptions to this. If you're a person in your 30s and you're in a relationship with a person in your 20s, don't take offense at this. But I'm just thinking about my personal experience and what I was like in my 20s. That person was 
Not someone I would want to associate with now, that's for sure. Right. Maybe in a mentor capacity, but not in a we are on a level playing field emotionally type capacity. Uh, and I feel like this book and then the adaptation have been interesting to me because I'm interested in what that relationship between Nick and Francis means for each of them, what that relationship with Francis and Bobby means for each of them, and then how Melissa comes into play and how she is being used in the novel and the adaptation. I think all of those relationship triangulations are really interesting. And I think that Sally Rooney has a lot of good observations about who those people are and what they need from each other. And I feel I was kind of hoping that the show would take it a step further and give us a firmer point of view on how we are supposed to feel or what those dynamics say about the characters, I felt like there was a little bit of a point of view missing for me. And I was hoping that the show would bring that to the novel. And I don't really think that it did. With that being said, I still really enjoyed it and had a good time watching this, but it didn't do what I was hoping that it would have. I'm not even sure how it would have done those things necessarily. Right. But just going into it, that's what I was wondering if if there would be more point of view on the entire situation and on the characters yeah like they could have incorporated in like Frances talking her thoughts but that probably would have you know how someone can come in and you can hear them thinking don't know if that would have brought it in or yeah if there could have been some type of different dialogue between them but I do feel like the time that it felt the most real for me like where I knew exactly what was going on between people was when Melissa and Francis, I would call it maybe a showdown, where Melissa had learned that Francis was having this affair with her husband. She asked Francis to come over and talk about it. Starts off civilly enough over tea, but you could see underneath that Melissa, she, she was hurt. And she felt threatened and she was angry and just all the emotions. But yet she was trying to be a human being and understand that Frances was young. She knew at that point her husband had said he had suffered from depression in the past. They had had some very rocky times. Melissa had had an affair with her husband's best friend, which I think she felt like probably maybe generated him looking outside of their marriage where previously he had not looked outside of their marriage. But I felt like just in that scene, Jemima Kirk was able to project so much of that in such a beautiful way. There were some reactions that she had that I totally expected, and there were some that I would not have expected that was a surprise for me. And I'm like, wow, that was really a nice way to handle that. I would have not been able to do that myself probably, but I like the way that she did it. And I think that the they came to a thing of she was going to try to embrace this. She said, I don't want to walk away from my marriage. I, I love my husband. I don't want to give it up. 
So I'm trying to incorporate his love for you somehow into this relationship and be a part of this in some way. So I felt like she was actively trying to seek out a way to make this work for as long as she thought that it may last. And that gave me a lot to think about on that end. So I really enjoyed that scene. I think, though, what I missed was an understanding of why Melissa and Nick love each other and why they want to be together and what they get from each other. I don't feel like the show or the book did a good job of translating that. And for the novel, it's because it's from Francis's perspective, so you're only getting what Francis understands. Right. But the series could have taken an opportunity to show us what are Melissa and Nick getting from each other and where are they really at in their relationship. And we didn't get any of that. And as a result, I found it difficult to see Melissa as a deeper character Despite how good Jemima Kirk is, I agree she's very good and she brings a lot to that character. But I still feel like there's a almost a bit of a temptation to villainize her or make her seem rigid, like the type of person who wants ownership over the situation, but also is mature enough to try to empathize with this younger woman. I thought she walked that line really well, but I was still left feeling a bit cold about her character and I didn't really feel like I got what I wanted on a deeper level and I did feel like the show could have easily gone there but it didn't and I think that was a mistake Hmm. I mean I definitely see that and like I said I wish she had been in more scenes I would have loved to have seen more interaction or more understanding of, like you said, what her and Nick had going on. I I know Nick was saying, I love her. And then she had made the comment, well, I love him. But it did seem like their life had really been falling, their life together had been falling apart long before Francis came in with, you know, very, various things that were happening. And like, we're, we're, we know that Nick suffered from depression. He talked about getting in bed and couldn't get out for days and that's exhausting on a relationship when someone is like that so yeah that that's that's a good point why are they together what was going on but also it being from Francis viewpoint maybe you were going to never get that that insight but I think that the show wasn't from Francis's viewpoint enough that they couldn't have given us that yeah You know, I mean, it was in a way where did we see any scenes that Frances wasn't in? No, she was in every scene, right? Right. I'm trying to think if there was ever a scene where she wasn't in it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I think she was just about in every scene. Like, you're right. The show is told from her her viewpoint in that sense, but it didn't have, but why did it have to be? Right. Like, I just, to me, I'm like, I don't, I think that's kind of a mistake, especially if they're not going to do any voiceover narration. I did want to go back to that because I think there's this temptation to not do voiceover because it's lazy and kind of gets a bad rap in filmmaking sometimes. But I feel it's done really well a lot of the time and I feel it can add a lot to a character. And I was thinking of the My Brilliant Friend adaptation, Mm. how they use Elena's voiceover from her writing to add to that characterization. They could have done that here. They could have given us more. And we did sometimes get emails or text messages read aloud, but it's not 
the same thing because those are still communications to another person. It's not like we're getting her writing something private or from, you know, from her journal or something not meant for other people to see. And I thought the show... The show should have considered a way to do that. Right. Uh, just without it, to me, a lot of the characters seemed a little opaque. And I fear that based, based on what I've read from other critics, that that is what other people are getting out of this as well. A little bit of frustration of like, who are these people? What the fuck? Like, tell us more. We need more to be interested. But I also get where you're coming from, where the relationships are interesting enough that you want to keep watching because you want to try to understand them. And there is a lot to be gained from observation. So I don't want to discount that. Right. But I guess I just want to make my one fr- one big frustration known. Absolutely. And maybe that was it. Maybe that's why I was so anxious to see every episode because I thought more more and more would be revealed. And more was every now and then, you know, especially as it went on like with her parents. I felt like I got more of an understanding of where they were coming from. There were some developments, but Yes, when it was all said and done, I really didn't have any clear answers about a lot of the things that you brought up. And I think we both discussed, we'll get to the ending eventually, but I I wasn't a huge fan of the ending by any stretch of the imagination. But yeah, I mean, definitely these characters could have been fleshed out more. I don't know, maybe they just played it safe and just stuck with what they had. Yeah, I mean, it reminded me of the character of Julie from Joachim Trier's Worst Person in the world mm-hmm. and I've talked about this movie so much and the more I talk about it and the more I think about it to be honest the the more I dislike it and the more I dislike that character because I think I have the same problems with Francis as I do with Julie where the character is just so it's like blood from a stone mm-hmm. You don't get that much and you, you're left guessing and you're left trying to interpret a little glance or a gesture or an email or a text message mm-hmm. when I think that's also just a lot of pressure to place on the actress. I think Alison Oliver, who plays Frances, she does a great job, but I think it's also just a lot to ask of her to portray this inner life of a character through glances and facial expressions and Mm -hmm. all this shit that is you just there's just too much to be misinterpreted and and there's too much that can go wrong with putting all your eggs in one basket for that to be the emotional communication well even when they became intimate when they had sex and talked to each other it was still so painful like you would think as this affair went on and you're having sex you know you open up more and and they did open up a little bit more to each other but even in their intimate conversations a lot could have been revealed and it wasn't they still just had such a problem even after being so physically intimate being emotionally able to communicate with each other that was definitely painful to watch yeah and i think in the sex scenes we get more of a sense that francis is an emotionally closed off person who has trouble with vulnerability i mean all of that comes across in other ways as well but the first time she has sex with nick she cries and she tells him oh it's not what it looks like i forget how she frames it but she basically says like bobby has mentioned that it's because she's so repressed or something that that's why she cries after sex and uh so you know that there are things going on with francis where she's keeping a lot bottled up she doesn't know how to express herself 
yourself in healthy ways, that's all coming across for sure. But I guess you just don't know what else there is with her. What else makes her tick? What else How else would you describe her? She just comes off a little bit as lost and damaged and looking for someone to define her in the show more than she did in the book to me. Hmm. That's interesting. I did like a little bit. One insight that I enjoyed was Frances was a writer and she wrote, I guess her and Bobby did like a slam poetry duo. She would do the writing. Bobby was kind of the performer, like you said, and that she wrote that. Up from the beginning, I was like, okay, this is a very quiet, emotionally awkward person, but there is a lot going on in there. She's got a lot to say. She's highly intelligent. There's a lot of turmoil going on, and I wish, you know, some of her poetry that was written, they said it very fast, but I would have liked to have maybe delved into that a little bit more of her writing. And then when she finally did sit down at a very low point in her life and got got her inspiration and wrote this story about Bobby, they read a little bit of it here and there. I think I would have liked to have known a little bit more about that. And her and Bobby had a confrontation because she did not tell Bobby, even when it was being published, hey, I wrote a story about you and it's about to be published, which I thought was pretty bad that she didn't tell her that. So that was just showed right there that she just could not bring herself to talk about things. But I felt like that her being a writer, I I feel like that gave me a little bit of insight in. I'm just telling you this from a perspective of not having read the book, like what things kind of gave me more insight into her her. And that was one of them, that she was a writer and, and that she was writing this very cool poetry and that she would even get up and perform it. She could put on a mask and, and perform in front of people if she had Bobby there with her. Yes, like you understood that she was an intelligent person who was thinking a lot about the world around her and was thinking a lot about her place in it. But I think there were what was probably missing for me was her thinking about how she comes across to other people. Right. One place where she does have more of a distinct point of view is in that episode where she has gone to Croatia with Bobby to stay with Nick and Melissa, who are at Melissa's literary agent's house. And Melissa's literary agent shows up and she's having a conversation with Melissa about, I don't quite remember, like about the house and I think about Nick and his depression. And there's one part where Bobby pops up and she says something like, oh, nothing like a bit of ethnic cleansing to pep up tourism when Valerie mentions having a place in the former Yugoslavia. And then later, Francis says something sort of incendiary when Nick's depression comes up to Valerie. So she does stand up for herself to people sometimes or says things that suggest that she's really mulling over a situation and she has thoughts that she's just not expressing. But it's so rare for her to, I think, actually be pushed to the point where she then does express. It almost has to push her into anger for her to burst out with something. And then nine times out of ten, from what I remember, she would go back and apologize. It seemed like she was always apologizing. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. She just constantly was apologizing for herself and feeling down on herself and feeling bad about herself. Bobby called her out on a lot of stuff. Of course, Melissa did on some stuff 
not even concerned with Nick, but like you said, when she kind of popped off about the literary agent. So it seemed like any time, I don't know, I just felt like any time she did assert herself, there was people telling her, you did the wrong thing and you need to apologize. And she would apologize. Yeah, she was constantly apologizing for herself. And I think that's an area where sometimes I found her relationship with Bobby damaging. Bobby would say something like, stop staring at yourself. And Francis would say, yeah, sorry, and apologize for it. And it's just hard to, to watch somebody constantly apologize for every single fucking thing that they're doing. Like as if they have the full burden of responsibility for the situation. She would never stand up for herself and say, no, I won't apologize. I want to look at myself in my reflection. Fuck you, Bobby. Right. She would let Bobby bulldoze her and kind of tell her how she should feel and how she should act. Like she was looking for cues from other people for what was and wasn't acceptable. She wasn't looking internally for that shit. And that makes her a frustrating character, but it also makes her a relatable character because I think that's something a lot of younger people can relate to. Just this feeling of being so unsure with who you are or what you want to be that you let other people dictate it for you. And I think that's why for me, it just the relationship with Nick felt so unhelpful to her as a person who's trying to progress and learn and grow and become a better version of herself. I don't know how you're going to do that when you have not yet forged your own separate identity and you're constantly looking for validation and for affirmation from outside people who you have a romantic relationship with. It's like because she didn't get any of that shit from her parents, she desperately needed it for other people. Like she needed that intimacy and she needed that feeling of having been seen by someone. I feel like that's what she was seeking out with both Bobby and Nick. But what do you think? I think that's a good point. Nick, I understand why they were initially attracted to each other, because they were so much alike in a lot of ways, both very quiet, both, even though it's weird, Nick was an actor, so he had to put himself out there. But of course, he was putting himself out there from an actor's perspective of putting on a mask. So maybe a lot of actors are introverted people. I don't know. But it just seemed like that those two... I could understand the attraction, but I couldn't understand why they kept being so drawn to each other because it just seemed like I could definitely understand why Francis would have been attracted to Bobby because they were almost, it seemed to me like, in, in a lot of ways, polar opposites, like they each needed each other. Bobby needed someone to, I don't know, be able to kind of control and Francis needed someone to control her. The relationship with Nick just seemed like it was two floundering people that couldn't communicate, and they just kind of bumped along through their relationship like a pinball. They seemed to go together well sexually, but other than that, I'm not really sure emotionally what they got from each other. But I do see, you know, maybe because he was an actor, she felt like he was important, he was handsome, and if he liked her, then that gave her some type of worth. Yeah, I think that is accurate. Because she comments, oh, you're so fucking good looking. Or there's the moment where her mom sees her and Nick together and she says they look like a couple of movie stars or something. And Francis is like, oh, that's just Nick. He is fancy. She loves what Nick brings to her image that she is projecting out to the world. But other than that, I don't quite understand what, especially what he gets from her, other than the typical things that an older man in a relationship with a younger woman often gets. 
like the validation that you're still sexually viable and blah, 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 all that dumb cliche shit. Other than that, I don't know what he's getting from her on a deeper level. Maybe, maybe he likes feeling like he has some insight that he can share with someone. Maybe because of his relationship with Melissa and how closed off she had been to his emotions when he was going through his depression, maybe because of that he was looking for someone who had a similar perspective on the world or was at a similar place mental health-wise who he could relate to on that level. I don't really know. Yeah, I don't know. Other than the cliche stuff of the younger woman... The only thing I can figure out, yeah, that was the one relationship. Like, I felt a ton more chemistry between Francis and Bobby than I ever did Francis and Nick. Like I said, not that they didn't have that. I mean, there was some sexual tension between them. But on an emotional level, he was crying when she wouldn't see him and tears were going down. I'm like, where are you? What is she giving to you? It seems like he would have, to me, if, if I'd have been Nick... Let me just put myself in, into Nick's shoes. If I'd have been Nick, knowing what I think I know about Nick, I would be looking for a woman that could talk and could share all of her feelings with me and could bring my feelings out of me so I could finally express what I never could express with anybody else. I, w- I don't think I would have wanted someone that was as awkwardly, painfully unable to express emotions. So yeah, I don't know. For me, that's just in my mind what I would have wanted to try to get out of something. Other than the great sex, it just seemed like they just kind of still were not able to communicate and it just made things that much worse. And as the moments of happiness that they had with each other, it just seemed like there was so many tormenting moments where they were misunderstood each other and there was fight and they would go home and he would sink back into depression and she would be upset and you know it just that rang a little bit hollow for me of what he was getting from her yeah I just think that if I were in his position I would want somebody who really tries to see me and really tries to understand me on a deep level because he seems to be misunderstood in his relationship with Melissa I think there's that one scene where Melissa is talking to Valerie, her literary agent, and they're talking about Nick's depression and how it basically, I think, was a career hindrance to Melissa a little bit because she couldn't promote her book because Nick was in such bad shape. And this really upsets Francis that Melissa would express resentment over Nick's mental illness. And that's a whole other thing we could talk about. But that little scene made me think, well, Nick probably feels misunderstood or not seen in his relationship with Melissa. Yeah. And he probably needs and wants that. But I just don't really think that Francis gave that to him other than him seeing a reflection of himself in her. Maybe that's it. That's true. Someone that could identify with his emotional awkwardness. Like, she's just like me. She gets me without us having to try to express it to each other. Maybe that was it. I don't know. But one thing I think that's important is what caused Francis to be the way she is. And one thing that I think the movie did a fairly decent job, or the movie, the series, did a very decent job at doing was showing the relationship she had with her parents. 
that actually got a good bit of screen time. And I'm just curious, how did you think that compared to the book, how was it depicted the relationship that Frances had with her parents? I don't remember well enough what had, how the book had talked about things. I'm like looking through, I have my Kindle highlights up okay. and I have a couple little sections where she talked about her family shit. And I think it was pretty much how it's portrayed in the series. Her dad is an alcoholic, has his issues. Her mom is sort of an enabler who, despite her dad's issues, really wants Francis to have a relationship with him. Francis doesn't seem to be emotionally close to either of them. They just seem to be people who are connected because they're parents and a child, but there's not much else going on there. And I think that the series did a good job of showing how that type of parenting situation would cause someone to be a young adult trying to figure out, oh, fuck, I don't have any role model for self-expression or emotional vulnerability. How do I do this stuff? Or am I even supposed to do this stuff? I could see that being very disorienting. And I mean, from personal experience, especially because I was very much like Francis in my early 20s, where I didn't know how to tell people things that I felt. I didn't know how to express myself emotionally. And I think the show did a good job of showing why she would be that way because of the situation she grew up in without really belaboring it. The glimpses that that I had of the relationship between her and her mom. Then when she would go and see her father and he was definitely an alcoholic. He had checked out a long time ago, but he was he was the purse strings to keep her through college. And I felt like we saw that the relationship for Frances was more like an obligation. Like she felt obligated to go back and see her mother. She felt obligated like she needed to go over and see her father, but that she did not particularly enjoy being around either one of them, that it was more of a chore or a duty. They were awkward. They never really touched each other or, I mean, okay, I was raised in the South where, you know, we hugged if we were just going to the store and then came home. So I thought maybe I'm a little oversensitive about that because I know a lot of people aren't like that. But I mean, they never hugged or shared anything above a surface level with each other. Frances felt awkward. I felt like every time she tried to share something with her mother, her mother was always picking at her, trying to find out more, which made Frances close down even more. But if Frances did share something about it, it seemed like her mom always had a comment about it to make her feel bad about it a little bit, about what she was saying or tried to correct her on it. So I, I felt really particularly that after seeing her interactions with her parents, I felt like that gave me a good insight on why she could be so quiet and emotionally stunted or emotionally immature as she was at that age. Yes, absolutely. And she wasn't yet at the place where she could be honest about her parents. She wasn't even telling Nick, oh, my dad is an alcoholic and my relationship with him is strained and I feel weird obligation to him even though I feel nothing for him whatsoever. She wouldn't be able to vocalize that really. I think at one point 
Melissa mentioned to her that her dad was an alcoholic as well and that he had died. And Frances, I'm trying to remember how she reacted in that situation, but it didn't seem like it was something that she wanted to engage or connect with Melissa over. She didn't, she almost felt betrayed in some way, I think, that she knew that information, that Nick had. Yes, that's that's the way I took it. Yeah, that Nick had, had confided that to her. Yes, so she wasn't yet at the place where she was open enough to even really fully acknowledge it or try to connect with and learn from other people who have had similar experiences. She just was not there yet. I think she just could feel that things were wrong in her family dynamic, but wasn't yet sure what to do with that information. Right. And I found it interesting, Lindsay, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, how her mom would always try to shield her in a way from her father. It always seemed like she would always ask Frances, like when she, they had long been divorced, and she would say, well, how, how's your father? And, oh, he's fine. And she would let it go. But it almost seemed like she she was trying in a way not to talk about the elephant in the room, which was the father was not doing well. And he was spiraling. And he was an alcoholic. And he was getting to the point he couldn't care for himself. Frances would go over there. And shit was piled up in the sink. And she had to wash it. And nobody could communicate with each other on how they saw things going downhill. And yet her mother, all of this dysfunction was going on, but her mother would always say to her, well, he's your father. You gotta love your father. You've got to check on your father. You've got to do that. And I mean, how did you feel? Did you feel like her mom was putting like undue pressure on her to have a relationship that just absolutely was never there and wasn't going to be there? Yeah, I fucking hated her mom, to be honest. I found nothing redeeming about that character whatsoever. I just felt like I I hate this idea that you're supposed to unconditionally love someone. And even at one point, Francis talks about this, how stupid it feels to love someone unconditionally. And it is stupid because people need to earn your love. They need to earn your respect. If they do something that takes that away, then you are allowed to remove your love from them. You don't just have to give it when it's unearned. And I feel like her mom wanted that from Francis. And there was that one scene where I think maybe was her mom having some kind of like holiday party or it was something in a bar. And her mom felt the need to tell Francis, your dad wasn't always like this when we first met. Basically, like he was a good person and we were in a good place and blah, blah. And it's just like, why, why the fuck would Francis care about that? That's not relevant to her understanding of you as people. And that is not going to change how she feels about her dad. Right. It doesn't matter what he was like in the past. What matters is what he's like currently and how that impacts her. And I just feel like her mom is keeping all of this residual guilt onto her that she's going to have a really hard time sorting through. That girl is going to need so much fucking therapy to figure out all of her emotions regarding her parents Her mom's enabling and passivity and her dad's alcoholism and lack of self-awareness of how it affects her. So I just, I desperately wanted her to get away from her parents and just kind of distance herself a bit. I tell you that the scene where her mother that you brought up, where her mother was saying, you know, your dad wasn't always like this. He was funny and joking and could laugh when we first got married. Almost felt like I saw a glimpse of her mother apologizing almost to Francis. Like, I don't want you to think that when I met him, he was this horrible piece of shit that just stayed drunk all the time. And 
I brought you into this world with that. It was almost like her mom was doing the thing that Frances did, like almost apologize, having to felt like she needed to justify or in her own fucked up, horrible communication way was trying to say, well, when I had you with him, he was good, but he went bad, but it wasn't my fault. I didn't pick him out nasty and bring you into the world into this. I don't know. That was just something that I felt like she was trying to say that she was sorry or it really wasn't her fault that Frances was brought into this situation. You're totally right. No, it was it was super narcissistic because it wasn't like she was trying to defend Frances's father to her because she wanted Frances to have a better perception of him. She wanted Frances to have a better perception of her. Right. She was concerned with what this person and her association with him had to say about her. So that whole conversation was just her word vomiting out her own insecurities and not even being straightforward in her apology to Francis. She was doing it in such a weird roundabout way that was just to me so like, ew, what a fucking emotional coward. How are you in your 50s? And this is how you communicate. You haven't learned a healthier way to express yourself. Jesus, like what a stunted person you are and you could see how Frances could become that right if she doesn't start to work on herself if she doesn't actually start to like stop intellectualizing everything and actually work through and get in touch with your feelings and process the shit that went on in your childhood and your life because otherwise yeah you're going to be like nick in your 30s unable to have a healthy relationship because you're not able to be honest with yourself about what you want It's like, yeah, you see all these people and all of their damage and all of their issues, and it's so frustrating. But it's also so relatable because it really lends the complexity that that stuff deserves and amplifies it. And Lindsay, one thing that you had brought up to me when we were texting, when we were still in the middle of watching it, is how it always seemed like when she went to visit her parents, they always had a distraction, like the TV was always on. So they didn't have to really engage with her. And I don't think I would have noticed that, but it's just almost like like her dad's watching the game and he barely even acknowledges her when she comes in and her mom always has the TV on. And it just seems like it, it was just another way of them not having to really deal with her as a human being. So you can imagine there's studies where kids, if they're denied emotionally, they do grow up with problems. I mean, you need emotion and communication and touch and interaction as much as you do food and water to be a complete person. So yeah, my years of therapy have uh, have opened my eyes <laughs> to the importance of emotional connection. I should pay you. I should pay you when we get done with this because I'm having emotional uh, realizations as we go. So yeah. I'm trying to think of what else. Well, let's let's talk about Bobby and and Francis' relationship. Good, bad, but let's talk about what happened with them as the show went on and and what we think about that. I have the feeling of again, not to keep going back to my brilliant friend, but 
they give me a little bit of an Elena and a Leela vibe. Could you see that? Oh, right? Yeah. Like they they are both emotionally dependent, personality dependent on each other, and they do get a lot of things from each other, but are they healthy things? Are they things that make you think, "Wow, close friendship," or are they things that make you think, "Wow, this has got a lot of different layers of fucked upness to it." Right. And I think that Francis, as maybe we already said, is is dependent on Bobby for her own sense of identity in a lot of ways. And she also puts Bobby on this weird pedestal and makes her into this muse. And toward the end, when she writes the story about Bobby that ends up getting published in The Stinging Fly, that's what she's doing. She is describing Bobby as this person who has got these slender hands and is so beautiful to the point where nothing can ever impact her. And she's writing about her the way that a man writes about a woman. You know, you see those Twitter threads that are like, that guy in your MFA or whatever, where it's all this horrible prose that men write about women, like reducing them down to these very base characteristics. Francis is doing that shit to Bobby. And Bobby, in turn, is happy to have this person who is maybe not as cemented in her projected identity. Yeah. So Bobby is able to sort of assert herself and take the upper hand of sort of the person who can scold and the person who can say, like, fuck you, Francis. That's not how it is. She's more assertive and she's more extroverted. But I think with her, it's all projection as well. It's not a true rendering of who she is inside on the outside. It's armor that she's surrounded herself with that she's projecting out into the world to shield herself from acknowledging the really shitty things that are going on in her life with mm -hmm. her parents' divorce and the way that they're pitting her against them and all of these dynamics that are at play, that that is affecting her emotionally, but she's also, in very similar ways, not acknowledging it fully either. I feel like Bobby has a lot of the same problems as Frances internally, but she just definitely projects them in a different way. She overblows. She's got to be the funniest one in the room. She's got to shake people up. She's got to say the things that make people uncomfortable. She wants to be remembered as the cool, catty, got-it-together type person. And honestly, I mean, the People, there, I'm sure there's going to be people to disagree with this, but I think Frances needs to get the hell away from her. It was, it was her first relationship. It, it, they're not good together, I don't think. You can love people, and you can have a great feeling with them, and you can be very sexually turned on with them, but when it boils down to it, you're just not good together on a long-term basis. And I'm hoping the ending we're, we will get to, but I'm just hoping that when Frances graduates college, she just gets the hell out of the whole situation and like moves to another country or something because I feel like she's stuck in a cycle with Bobby and she's going to always, she's not going to be able to break it unless she's away from her. So I hope that at some point she realizes this. So if she ever really wants to discover who she is and to figure out what she wants to to do on her own as her own person she has got to get away from bobby she's got to and she's got to get away from nick too oh yeah out of there she has to she, and she has to get away from her parents right she has to get away from all of these people who are trying to assert themselves over her and craft her identity into what they want it to be and she's allowing it to happen 
And until she gets away from them, she's going to be susceptible to their influence. And I don't think it's good for her. But it's also, again, like very relatable to be in that position and to be on the precipice of figuring that stuff out for yourself, but still not being strong enough or self-aware enough to put your foot down and say, no, even though this thing makes me feel good temporarily, I know it's not good for me long term and I'm going to escape it. She's not there yet. And that's kind of where this book lies. And she doesn't really have, I don't think, an emotional growth arc. I feel like the Francis at the end is the Francis at the beginning. That's it. Well, well, the way that it ends, let's see, where are we? (laughs) We've talked about so much, but let's, we're at the end now. And what basically happens is Francis has decided she cannot be in the relationship with Nick, with him still loving his wife, and she cannot make it work. She tearfully goes away from him, but she starts back a sexual relationship with Bobby. They start sleeping together again, but they do say, okay, we're not going to be just committed to only each other. Bobby says, I'm not moving in with you. She said, great, I don't want that. Let's just see how it goes. They kind of leave it at that. And then at the very end, it shows Francis in a bookstore and She gets this phone call from Nick, and then she picks up, and she's like, hello. And he's like, did you want me to bring wine home? And she's like, um, I think you call me by mistake. And he's like, oh, Francis? And supposedly he called her by mistake, even though I'm not 100% convinced he did. Could have happened, but I don't know. Maybe he was trying to get back in with her. They start talking, and then he starts crying, and they come to some realization. And she says, oh, I'm kind of back together with Bobby, but not in a committed relationship. And then all of a sudden she says, Nick, come pick me up. And that's how it ends. So yes, I felt like she just went all the way back around and she's right back kind of where she started, except now her and Bobby are actually sleeping together again. And it's just going to be, again, I... Any, we talked about this before we started recording, but I have no judgment whatsoever when it comes to polyamory or non-monogamy or open relationships. But that's not what Nick and Melissa have. And they're not coming at this Francis involvement from a level playing field where they've discussed it and they've agreed and things are happening in bad ways here. And there's just no way that this situation is going to pan out in a favorable way for Francis. Because Nick and Melissa are not on a level playing field where they understand each other and they've agreed to a specific situation. Nick is not yet emotionally honest with her. That's going to be a whole fucking thing that is going to end poorly and things are going to implode. Francis and Bobby are not really meant to be together, I don't think. As we've already discussed, they're getting a lot of toxic things from each other. And that relationship isn't going to be a good, fulfilling one. And we also don't know how it's going to change or morph with the involvement of Nick again. There are just many reasons why this is not a good thing. And on top of it all is, as we've talked about, Frances just not having a stable grasp on her own identity. And I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, you have to figure out who you are before you're in a relationship and blah, blah, blah. I think that is a misnomer. I think you can figure out who you are in a relationship, but it has to be a healthy relationship. And you have to be willing to work on yourself and willing to be emotionally honest with the other person. So this ending to me is like, oh, here we fucking go again. Frances is just going to do the same shit she always does. She's not going to experience any type of real growth. 
She's going to get hurt and then she's not going to know how to process it. And she's going to be caught in a vicious cycle of fucking up and feeling bad and not really getting additional insight into who she is as a person. And so to me, that's a bleak ending. I don't see it as a romantic thing where, oh, she and Nick are going to be together and how great. No, absolutely not. I feel the same way. When I say that I didn't like the ending, let me interject this. I feel like the way that it ended is a way that life goes a lot of times. Like it would be wonderful to be fucked up, go through some terrible shit, come at a wiser person, and then make a great choice for yourself and go on. But a lot of times people fuck up, they realize they fucked up, and then they just go and fuck up again sometimes with the same people. I mean, that's life. I've done it a thousand times. I've made so many mistakes and learned my lesson and know what the lesson is, and I still fall into the same patterns. I have done that. So I felt like it could be a realistic ending where she hasn't learned her lesson. And I feel like, you know, in my head, when I saw that ending, I'm like, she's fucking up. But some people have to go through the entire fuck up and really just live it and let the realization of life and let it come back and smack you again before you'll really learn. So from that standpoint, I could see why it ended like that. Maybe if she had learned her lesson and gone on to better things, maybe that would have been more uplifting, but maybe a little less realistic. I don't know. I'm not saying people don't learn from lessons. So I could see why it ended the way that it did, but it definitely did not leave me with, oh my God, thank goodness, she's going to get back with Nick and they'll work it out with Melissa and then she'll still be sleeping with Bobby on the side. So she'll be able to understand Nick and Melissa better. I didn't get that type of vibe at all. Like, this was going to be anything good for anybody. No, and you know me. I am happy to have things end on a pessimistic note. But I think that what left me feeling like this was not a pessimistic note, or it was not to be perceived as a pessimistic note, was the way that Frances communicated that to Nick on the phone, where she said, I think it was Nick, come get me. And she smiled into the camera. And then you had the swelling of that... Phoebe Bridgers song and I think it was I think it ended on a Phoebe Bridgers song I'm sure it did and it just didn't feel like the show was acknowledging this is fucked up I wanted a point of view from the show right something to indicate yes we know this is Francis fucking up again and oh Jesus Christ but that's life (laughs) you're young and you got to make mistakes it felt too clean in that way. And I think that's what bothered me about it. Not that it wouldn't be realistic for somebody of that age to just keep doing the same dumb shit over and over again. That is totally, yep, that checks out. Right. But I want there to be a more doomed ending to it or a more like wink. We know we're, we're in the know. We know that this is not great. And there wasn't that. Yeah, it almost seemed like you. when you said the swelling of the music, that cracked me up. Because, yeah, all of a sudden it was just like, it's all going to work out. This is good. Yeah, Everybody's evolved. So, yeah, that, that did seem a little unrealistic. But I have to say, too, they should make a soundtrack out of this series because it had some wonderful songs <laughs> dotted throughout. I enjoyed the music through it. Yeah, it was really good. And I did want to mention Phoebe Bridgers wrote a song for this series. It's the song Sidelines. Oh, really? And there's 
a music video out for it that I haven't watched yet, but I think it uses footage from the show. And for those who don't know, Phoebe Bridgers is in a relationship with Paul Mescal, who is one of the leads in Normal People. Oh. So all these people are sort of tied together in different ways. In a multitude of relationships, just like this series. <laughs> yes. So I think the only other thing I really wanted to talk about that we have not talked about is Frances's endometriosis and her self-harm in the form of cutting, Ugh. which I will say is a much bigger part of the book. Mm. Frances in the book does not just cut herself one time. She does it multiple times. It's very clear that she uses self-harm to get something that she's not getting or to feel something that she's not feeling. I don't want to go into the psychology of self-harm. I'm not an expert on that. But there's only one scene where she does that. And I, I was curious what you thought about the depiction of her endometriosis and the depiction of her self-harm. Oh, yeah. The endometriosis really... And I'm coming from it from a biased perspective, I think. But that alarmed me because I really thought something was going to be, not knowing the book, I really thought that something was going to be desperately wrong with her. Um, I didn't know if that's where they were going to be taking this story. Like, here we have this young woman and she's going to be diagnosed with some type of terminal disease. And then it's we're really going to see how all these relationships play out. So for me personally, but just because I've recently had a friend diagnosed with a very serious illness, I that was worrying me. Like I felt a sense of dread every time because it really depicted that over several things where it was pretty graphic in her pain and she had to be rushed to the emergency room and they didn't know what was going on and she had to wait for the test and then she had to wait for the results and so that kept me on edge. I felt like that that was depicted fairly well and was kind of an interesting plot line into this but then I realized after I knew that it wasn't the the plot line wasn't going to be she has some type of terminal illness. I think it was interesting how it worked in that what she had wrong with her was going to maybe make it much harder for her to have children. And Nick had mentioned to her that he wanted to have a family and Melissa didn't. And then all of a sudden she was worried about it and she didn't tell him what her diagnosis was. And I thought to myself, girl, you're 21. Do you even want to have kids yourself? Or why are you taking on his, his desire to have children and turning this into your crisis? I felt like she was doing herself uh, injustice with that of not of like somehow this was a shameful thing she couldn't even tell her mother she couldn't tell her lover I felt that that was sad for her so I felt like that that brought in a very interesting point um, as far as her illness I mean what did you think about that that's actually why I didn't like it oh <laughs> because I but uh, no I don't disagree with anything that you've said, but I felt like her endometriosis was only used to bring up this infertility worry. So to me, it felt like a plot point. It felt like using a chronic illness as a plot point right. to bring up this fear of, oh, no, I can't have kids and this person that I'm fucking might want them and then I might not be able to give them to him and then oh no insecurity insecurity but other than that I didn't really feel like Francis's pain was that integral to her identity or her day-to-day -day or I didn't really other than we saw scenes of her obviously being in pain and being in bed and having to deal with it 
So that was in there, but I just didn't understand what it really said about her on a deeper level. I mean, I think in the novel, there was more of a sense of her feeling like alienated from her body and that being another disorienting layer. But in the show, I just really felt like it was more so used as a plot line to bring up this kid's question. And you know, that's going to piss me off. That always pisses me off. So, well, and yeah, and that did, it pissed me off too in the fact that what I was saying in my head was you have never, or maybe she had had thoughts about this in the book, but here she was 21 years old. Why should her first worry be, I can't have children. It's going to disappoint my lover. I was mad that she couldn't just be like, dealing with it on her own terms. Okay, it's not that important to me, or maybe it was that important to her. I would have liked to have seen what she felt about it as herself. I mean, I never wanted children. I never had children. There's many, many women that desire to have children and have had children, and I just would have liked to have seen how would Frances herself, just from herself, react to the news. But instead, I felt like, once again, she puts everybody, she projects everything from other people onto her, and she couldn't, you know, she instantly started worrying about it just because she knew Nick wanted kids. And that I wasn't happy about it. So that's just kind of, I think we're kind of in agreement on it, but maybe I saw it as this plot line furthered that, but I could see where it didn't really specifically spell that out. Yeah, I think it's more for me like chronic illness should, if you're going to explore chronic illness, explore chronic illness. Don't just make it into a thing that you've included for the furthering of this other thing. Right. And I think someone could argue that the show didn't do that, that her pain was portrayed and that was part of her character and the way she moved through life, blah, blah, blah. I'm just, for me, that didn't come through enough. And it it just started feeling a little bit like I could see the wheels turning of like, how are we going to bring up this conversation? Okay, we're going to have Francis go through this health issue And then that's going to bring up this conversation. Like, I I felt like I could see it, like, mapped out on a storyboard or something. And to me, that felt icky. Did you feel like, okay, they're going into the trope that she's going to be upset because she can't have kids because every woman has to want to have kids? Was that kind of it? Like, you felt like they were trying to push that narrative? No, I don't think so. I I think they were trying to highlight the fact that Frances is such an insecure person that she is going to worry about this from the perspective of her partner and what it means for the future of their relationship instead of worrying what it means about her and what it means about the impact on her wants and her desires. So I think that that was, I I think that that is how the show meant it. I don't think it meant it in any kind of generalized way, but I just, again, felt like I didn't need to see that done in that way. I don't feel like it added anything to my understanding of Francis that I didn't already have from other relationships and other mm-hmm. perspectives. I gotcha. Okay. I see where you're coming from. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, they didn't flesh it out correctly in a way. I understand. And I think with the self-harm. Oh, and the, yeah, the self-harm. I think that they probably, I mean, maybe they felt like it would be hard to depict or maybe they didn't want to fall into the trap of, oh, what is that shitty teen show? 13 Reasons Why, which is a show about like teen suicide that they sort of glamorize. Maybe they were worried about 
getting that depiction right. And so they just chose to include one scene where they could very much make it a point to have Frances say she wasn't going to do it again. You know, it wasn't a regular thing. Whereas in the book, it was a very regular thing. I have to think that that was like for optics, why they didn't include that. Once again, not having read the book, I want to say that a hundred times during this thing. That one caught me by surprise. I didn't see it coming. And at first when she when she was doing it, I gasped and I was like, my gosh, you know, she's harming herself. She's trying to feel like she's in some type of control. But I, I really think that that wasn't it. Like, once again, maybe just like with the health scare, did if they were only going to do that, did it need to be included? Do you feel like it brought something in? Like it kind of showed that she did it, but then all of a sudden, you know what? I'm not going to do it anymore. And would that make someone that's self-harming and can't stop feel even that much worse? Like she could stop, but I certainly can't. I mean, if you, it's such a a delicate subject and I've never done it. So I'm not going to even pretend like that I know anything about it, but it just seems like if you're not going to take it all the way and show just how damaging it is or what a person is really going through that's doing this, I mean, maybe you can harm yourself and then not ever do it again. But I don't know. It just felt like, like that really, that did feel gratuitous to me. Yeah. They didn't go any further with it. And I felt like it was just kind of very convenient that things started improving a little bit in her life. And she's like, and I'm not going to do that again. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly how it felt to me. I almost and I'm just hypothesizing here. It felt to me like the showrunners were like, we don't want to include this in the series. And Sally Rooney said, well, it's really important to the characters, so it has to be in there. And they said, "Okay, we're going to put in one scene. Where after she's broken up with Bobby and Nick, Frances will cut herself, but then she'll say she's not going to do it again. Cool. You know, it was probably one of those compromise things where I think it just came off as, again, a little gross to me. I don't think it said anything about the character. I felt like they were wrapping it in... Oh, what's the word? I just... I felt like they were safeguarding themselves from criticism in the way that they wrote that scene where it didn't feel realistic to me. I was like, this is bullshit. This is like adults looking at an issue and not understanding it and trying to save their asses from criticism. Like, I don't know if it would have been better just not to have it, because I think that that self-harm is a very, it's probably a lot more common than we know about. And it, it is a problem and it needs to be addressed and it needs to be shown and destigmatized. But yes, I mean, if they're only going to show it like that, maybe they should have just cut it out and not had it. I think so. I think it would have been better to just not have it. If you don't want to deal with that as part of the show, then take it out. That's to me, that's preferable to pigeonholing in this one scene and it being awkward and not best suiting the narrative or the characterization. Right. And not really addressed fully the way that it should have been. Yes. With everything said, I mean, what's your final review? What would you say to someone that is thinking, well, should I watch this or not? (laughs) My final review is, yes, you should watch this. I think you should read the book. If you're like, oh, should I see this? Read the book first. If you're interested in this, I think you should read the book first so that you can have that experience solo and you're picturing the characters for yourself and not necessarily how the show is portraying them. And I think it's a it's a show that is worth watching for sure. You will get a lot out of it. If you don't want to read the book and you just want to watch the show, totally do that. 
I think if you're interested in deep character-driven stories that are not super plot-heavy, you will probably enjoy this. But to me, it's an imperfect adaptation. I don't think like, oh, this is an amazing adaptation and I'm so impressed with it. I feel more like I'm glad I watched it. I was happy to see some actors that I really like bring these characters to life. But it's not it's not the My Brilliant Friend adaptation. Let's just say that. Oh, no. I don't think anything could be that. No. My Brilliant Friend is one of my favorite. I feel along the same lines that you do. I think maybe I enjoyed it a little bit better. I definitely looked forward to to each episode, even though I saw some problems with it. I found myself engaged with it. So, but I definitely do now. I'm definitely going to pull these books out and read them because I, I am very curious about comparing it and seeing how the series changes for me after reading the book. I am very curious about that. And I feel like that for me, maybe this is just my generation being a boomer. It really brought up a lot of interesting thoughts about what relationships truly are, what they could be, what they should be for each person. It just, I really had like a very interesting dialogue in my head about a lot of things. And I feel like, look, I got something out of it. So my recommendation would be, yes, definitely check this out. And I'm very curious to see how it's received when it comes out on Hulu and how it's viewed by other people. And it is out now. It came out on... Sunday the, what day is Sunday the 15th? Yeah. Oh, great. Good, good. So people are watching it and hopefully they're getting something out of it. And even if they don't like it, I hope that it brings more readers to Sally Rooney because I think she is a very talented writer. I will be following her career, reading all of her books. And I hope that more people who see this who haven't done so will be inspired to pick up a copy of something and get into it. And one thing that I just wanted to comment on, I don't think we've talked too much about the director, Leanne Wilhelm, who did this. I I was not that familiar with her. Very interesting person. She was unable to get into film school, and she really got her start by editing home movies from VHS format to DVDs, which I found interesting. But I did notice in the credits of the film, when we have a a woman-directed film, I think she was a co-director, when we have a woman involved like this, there seem to be so many more women behind the scenes. And I love that. As I was watching the credits, I'm like, Look at all these women that are involved with this. So for all of its flaws or whatever, I was very happy to see that so many behind-the-scenes crew were female. Yeah, so just to give some background on this, because I think it's interesting, Lenny Abramson, who is the showrunner and also directed episodes 1 through 5 and 11 through 12, he and Alice Birch, who wrote a lot of these episodes, worked together on the adaptation of Normal People, which Abramson co-directed with Hedy McDonald. So Conversations with Friends is co-directed with Leanne Wilhelm. She did episodes 6 through 10. And the interesting thing about Conversations with Friends is that it uses a lot of the same people who worked on Normal People. And it uses a lot of women, as Joe mentioned. So I wanted to highlight a couple of them. Susie Lavelle did the cinematography for Normal People, and she did a lot of the episodes of Conversations with Friends. 
along with another cinematographer named Bobby Shore, who, Joe, you will know because he worked on Anne with an E, and also Karen Kusama's film Invitation. Nice. You have got to watch Anne with an E. You've got to say that. I am I'm a fan of that so bad. I would I would love to watch it again. If you when you decide you want to watch it, I'll rewatch it again as you watch it and then we can talk about it. I know. I know it's on it's on my list. Yeah, I've loved it. Yeah, maybe we can talk about it on the podcast. So just a couple of other highlights cuz I I just as I was going through I was like shit, there's so many people from normal people who are back on this show. So just a couple others I want to mention. Editor Nathan Nugent, who also worked on Lenny Abramson's film Room, which many people probably know because it was Academy Award and nominated. He is back. And there are a lot of casting directors, both casting directors, Louise Keeley and Karen Scully are back. The same costume designer, Lorna Marie Mugen, is back. The music supervisor, Juliette Martin, is back. And also a lot of the executive producers who are women, Emma Norton and Rose Garnett, who both worked together on The Souvenir Part 2, which we love, and a lot of other films as well. So definitely a stacked female behind-the-scenes crew and a lot of people who were involved with normal people. Well, I can see the comparisons then to normal people because not only the same author of the books that it was based on, but basically almost the same (laughs) crew came in and did it. So I can definitely now much more understand why I see a lot of comparisons between the two. And same same intimacy coordinator as well, Ida O'Brien. And I do think the shows look pretty similar. It's been a while since I've watched Normal People, but from what I remember, it's visually pretty similar to Conversations with Friends. I think the way that they set up the episodes is similar. So I think if you liked that show and you what you liked about it was analyzing these relationships and these characters on a deep level, you will definitely get something from Conversations with Friends. And I'm just looking to see if there's anybody else that I neglected to highlight. I did want to say that Alice Birch, we know because she wrote Lady Macbeth, and she also wrote Mothering Sunday, which, Joe, did you, you watch that, right? I did. Yeah. So she, she wrote the script for that film. I love just all of the connections. It it almost seems like women-directed films, they bring so many people with them <laughs> that they've worked with. Like, they, they keep these long relationships with people and just bring them back around. I've seen that a couple of times already. It's almost like when people are not assholes and they are pleasant to work with, people want to work with them again. That's crazy. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. May, maybe women are onto something here. Hmm. hmm. <laughs> Oh, and I did want to ask you, did you recognize Joe Alwyn from The Souvenir Part 2? I did not. You know, he was the editor who Julie tried to sleep with because he was nice. And then he had to kind of awkwardly tell her, like, I'm gay. And oh, I, my God. I did not put that together. That is hilarious. Yeah. Oh, I love it. And he is probably best known for being Taylor Swift's boyfriend. But I th- I think we, we didn't really highlight him much, but he did a great job. This, I think, really highlighted his acting ability. And he did more with that character of Nick than I could really 
picture anyone else doing. I felt like he he deeply understood it and he elevated it to a level where you could really kind of empathize with him, even though he was so stunted and had his own issues that he wasn't really handling well. Exactly. I have to agree. Yeah, we didn't really talk too much about him. But I have to say, at first, when it first started out, I hated him. And I only hated him because I felt like, here is this older man that's going to somehow take advantage of this. I, I You know, I stereo put him into some type of stereotype. I really did. But I felt like he did bring more of a nuanced flavor to his character. And I felt myself not understanding where he was coming from, but not seeing him as uh, someone that was going to take advantage or, you know, as someone that was being very callous in this situation. I He did portray, hey, I'm emotionally erect too. And I felt like he projected that he was coming, trying to come to this from a good place and with a good heart, and he was trying to figure it out. So yeah, I felt like that he did he did very well in the role. I did know that he was Taylor Swift's partner. <laughs> I did know that part, but I didn't know about the souvenir. I might have to go back to that part of the movie and watch that again because that was a cute scene. Yeah, he's good. I hope he gets more higher profile roles because I think he is talented and I, I would like to see him do more things. I think I read he's got some stuff coming up. I can't remember what it is, but he does have some stuff in the works where I think we're going to be seeing more of him. Good. I'm okay with that. Me too. And we should say, too, um, we didn't really mention it, but Sasha Lane is amazing in this. She's great casting as Bobby, who can be a very abrasive character, but I feel like Sasha Lane manages to make her very charismatic, and you totally understand why. Francis or why anyone would be drawn to her like a magnet. Oh, she would own me. There's no doubt. I mean, at, at that point in my life, I would have been so drawn to her. Sasha Lane did an excellent job. I really enjoyed her. And she's just, she's so gorgeous. She's just so, she just lights up a screen when she comes in. I mean, she really has so much charisma. You just cannot help but be drawn to her. Totally. And one thing I didn't note, but that I think is important to note is that Bobby is not black in the book. In the book, everyone is white. Mm. I think everyone in every Sally Rooney book is white. So I think it's good that they changed that. And they did work in some, actually, I was going to say they did work in some racial dynamics. I'm now not sure if they did. They definitely worked in some of Francis's homophobia that came up, like internalized homophobia. But I don't I don't know if racism really overtly came up in any way. If it did, it was very, very subtle because I cannot recall it right now. Yeah, I don't think it did. So, you know, is that a missed opportunity? Is it not? I don't know, but I'm just I think it's good that they made an attempt to have some type of diversity in casting. In the book was Bobby American. I don't remember if she was or not. I I don't remember Melissa in the book being from London, but I don't remember if Bobby was American. I don't think she was, but I could be wrong about that. I guess they tried to shake it up a little bit, and I like that. Yeah, I did as well. well I would say final, final words for me is please watch this. 
And Lindsay has said read the book first, so trust her. Maybe give a read to the book, watch the series, and then we would love to hear your comments. You agree with us? You think we're way off? You think we missed the point? Or you think we're right on top of it or somewhere in between? Please let us know. We would love to hear from you. Well, let's not invite people to tell us we're way off base because I don't want <laughs> I don't want those people who tend to be obnoxious. Don't even... be obnoxious. Be kind. You can gently tell us. Yeah. And we're not we're just not way off base. We're just not. I'm confident in that. If somebody said that I was, I would be defensive about it immediately. But of course, we're open to uh, your opinions of the show, where you differed from us and. If you want to tell us about them, you can leave a review on the podcast. Please leave a review. It would be so nice. And it would take like one fucking minute out of your day. And it would make our days so much better if we had a nice review saying, hey, all the time that you put into this thing is actually meaningful and worthwhile. So if you could if you could just do that, find it in your heart. That would be yes. that would be nice. Yes. Make, make an old woman happy here. <laughs> yeah. Listen, listen to Joe. <laughs> um, so yeah, hopefully that that properly guilted you into taking action. And uh, if not, we will see you in two weeks with something else. Not sure what we're going to be talking about yet, but TBD. And if you have any recommendations, feel free to send us an email at sup, S-U-P, at womaninrevolt.com. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you on the next one.